Does my mic sound good, by the way? Yep. Okay. Hey, podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Welcome back, boss man. Hey, man. How are you? Happy New Year. We made it. We made it. (laughs) 2022. (laughs) One of the best things about having a pod is you can call up people when you're interested in their journey and say, hey, come share what you're up to with us. Give us the goods. Today's episode is an example of that. Our guest is Brian Castle. Ian, we spoke with him five years ago about his productized service called Audience Ops. And late last year, Brian sold that and decided to start a SaaS company to start to level up and focus more on software, focused on asynchronous communication, and that's called Zip Message, which we know about because a lot of our users at DJ actually use Zip Message. So kind of interesting integration there. Today, we talked about so much with Brian, Ian, uh, why he wanted to go from productized service to SaaS. Uh, We talked about his decision to sell audience ops without using a broker and his decision to take on funding for Zip Message, even though he's been a lifetime bootstrapper. And at the end of the episode, because Brian does podcasting himself, he's involved in the community, seeing so many businesses out there. I asked him if we could fire back up an old segment we used to do quite often on the show called Business Idea Donations. So we play a game of that. And I thought, boss man, at the top of the episode, why don't I challenge you and myself to bring three business ideas to the audience. We're a little bit rusty at it, but let's give it a go. We haven't heard each other's ideas yet. So I thought we could go back and forth and hopefully somebody in the audience takes these things, goes out and makes a bunch of money with them. So Ian, why don't you kick us off? Um, Business ideas, Dan, it's been a while since we've done this. You kind of tasked me with this the other day and I wrote down some things and I kind of realized like looking at my list here that like, not a ton of it actually has to do with cutting edge web. There's a lot of hard problems to be solved that aren't necessarily like super technical necessarily. Ian analog shown. We got yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, here's the thing is like, I think a lot of these problems that we solve on the internet, they don't necessarily need to be solved. Like uh, a lot of them are problems that like generate a lot of money, especially for investors, not necessarily like create a lot of value. You can see that because there's like a a bunch of different things that solve the same problem. You know, one of the things that we're seeing online specifically in our space is like this compliance issue. So with hiring remote workers across the web, like there's a new one every day. There's like Oyster, there's Deal, there's Remote. And I think it's just the amount of money that's behind these deals, so to speak, is just massive. And so it's like, do we really need like seven different companies that solve this same problem? The answer is no. But there are a lot of problems, I think, that are still worth solving that aren't in that same vein, if that makes sense. I mean, let me just piggyback what you're saying. So like, I'm hearing an opportunity right there, which is you've got these two um, billion-dollar companies that became billion-dollar companies in 12 months and a bunch of people trying to do the same thing like that have a sort of a adjusted value prop off of these like two clear winners, which I think at least the last time I checked the startup news, which I don't very often remote and deal seem to be the big fish. 
And then now there's all these alternate value propositions coming up. So, you know, if you're looking for a business idea, getting involved in that industry feels like a good opportunity because even though there's probably only a handful of companies that are going to emerge as clear winners, I think the fact that these startups are so hot and that they are solving an enormous problem and there is a lot of money around it, they have real traction in terms of revenue, that that's a profitable ecosystem to know about, to profit off of, to build adjacent services, et cetera. So there you go. I think if you're trying to go from like zero to one, you're trying to go from job to entrepreneur, finding something that's in upheaval and moving is typically a good opportunity. Yeah, my guess, though, about what's really happening in that space is uh, essentially like the VCs that couldn't get in on the remote.com and the deal are now getting in on the Panthers and the Oysters and whatnot. So I think it's being driven a lot by just like the funding, not necessarily like the innovation in the space, because everybody's basically solving the same problem. I think eventually that industry will contract. That's the way that this kind of works as far as I can see so far is like these industries, they expand and then they contract and they expand and then they contract. I think there's even a technical word for it in San Francisco. I can't remember what it is, but... <laughs> Anyways, on to the business idea here. Uh, this is a pretty simple one. I swear I've like brought this up before. I went to go make uh, cabinets for my house in my uh, master bathroom. And uh, I called uh, two people that speak English very well, very well. And they wanted to charge me uh, fourteen dollars to $16,000 to make these cabinets. And then... I called uh, someone that I know that doesn't speak English very well, and he wanted to charge me $6,000 to make these cabinets. And they're essentially the same construction. Um, it's the same process. And here, here is the problem, Dan, that I am finding and that I have found for the last five years of owning my house, is that when you call somebody that knows how to operate basic things like Yelp and Google, um, a lot of times... Uh, they speak good English, and a lot of times they're not actually the person that is doing the work, meaning they're not actually cutting the wood. When I called my friend that doesn't speak perfect English, he has uh, zero internet presence, and uh, he's very good at what he does, and he's a fraction of the cost. And so essentially, like the markup on knowing how to use basic services like Google and Yelp is still massive in the services industry, especially in like the contracting and construction industry. So here's my idea. I've had it forever. It's a hard one to execute, but essentially make it easy for, especially in America, Spanish-speaking people to create a web page, a Yelp presence, a Google presence, whatever it is that makes it easy to find these people because there's not a lot of competition. I mean, like cabinets is pretty uh, crowded, Dan, but there's other things that aren't as crowded that are needed around the household. I want to get to the maker. I want to get directly to the source of the person that's making these cabinets because the price is so much cheaper. Essentially what's happening in Austin, and I think this is happening all over the country, is you know skilled labor is, is getting harder and harder to come by. But these people essentially that are, in my mind, are adding zero value, except for they know how to do some basic things on the internet because they know how to read and write English, are monopolizing the space and they're making it very hard. Okay, good idea. I love the idea, but I, I gotta say this. I would just say, go be a cabinet maker and do the hard stuff right. The hard stuff is speaking English. The hard stuff is picking up the phone. The hard stuff is operating a Yelp account. Creating cabinets is something that a lot of people can do. And provided you can get enough margin, you can find anybody to make the cabinets. 
but you can't find anybody to pick up the phone about the cabinets. That is the hard part right now in the market. And so I say, start a cabinet company. Why not? <laughs> You're absolutely right. And this is part two of this business donation idea, which is like, there is so much opportunity to create a boring business still. So uh, much. Tree trimming business, cabinet business. You know, Dan, I'm sorry, but if I had to start all over again, I might choose a boring business. And there's a lot of problems with it. Like I wouldn't be able to travel as much. Um, In the beginning. You know, but that, I mean, correct. To, to, to have that as a requirement your first year in business is pretty prissy. You know, why don't you go to customers' houses, learn about something valuable, and then you can scale these things because look, people want to put money into stuff right now. And there's lots of incentives to buy businesses like this, to get funding for them. There's a lot of private investors that want to get involved in this stuff. So these businesses can scale. You can roll them up. You can have a centralized, low-cost customer service that's responsive, that sells well. And yeah, I think it's a great idea. The physical world is not disappearing, despite what everybody that sits on Twitter wants to think and believe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my first business idea, I'll start with one that's a problem for us right now, Ian. We are turning from a little teeny weeny company to a little bit bigger of a company and we need a CRM. We just got all these customers, leads everywhere. And so now we're doing one of these processes, you know, you go out and you do your due diligence and you talk to the salespeople and you're real good friends with all of them all of a sudden and, and you're hearing the bells ring in the background and you just don't know where to go. Wouldn't it be great if there was a productized service, which is we're going to get you onto a CRM in a month as a service. A lot of us are prepared to pay a great deal of money to move software platforms. And so again, it's this old school concept where there's always new opportunities of this kinds of companies need this kinds of software. And that transition process is really painful. They're easy to find these companies and there's just not a lot of service providers in the space. So choose whatever works for you or whatever you're interested in. But for me right now, it would be pretty interesting to see uh, CRM relocation or boot up as a service. And that would be a pretty high ticket item. I think it would be great too if um, you know these people didn't have uh, like allegiances to any one particular CRM. And uh, you know that's often the case here, Dan, is like once you start to get into that business, if you're that person that does that migration, all of a sudden, uh, you know, XYZ company offers you incentive to kind of push your customers over to their CRM. And then that starts to be the solution that kind of fits for everybody. There is a bit of a danger zone there, but there also is an opportunity. So kind of what I'm imagining and what you're saying here is like, essentially, we want to sit down and be like, okay, we have these, it's a two-sided marketplace, what we're working on over at Dynamite Jobs. We have these two different types of customers. We have candidates and we have companies. I don't know if it's going to be one solution or two, but we need to figure out like where we are right now with like our email product and like with our platform and everything else. Like we need to figure out the ultimate tool that's going to work with us now that'll probably scale with us for the next couple of years. And so sit down with us, listen to our problems, listen to the things that we're trying to do, and then help us implement and pick the best product for that. It's almost like a consultive uh, position. You could do this with uh, email service providers as well. I think that would be a pretty interesting service because you can also pick up the affiliate commission on the backside. You can do ongoing services. And a lot of the discovery calls that you're going to be having with your clients are going to be juicy content for your marketing, right? So I think it's like a really nice, elegant business, especially for someone seeking their first service business on the web. Yeah, it's funny that you bring this up, Dan, because I'm going to piggyback this with one of my other business ideas, which is essentially the same thing for insurance. It's a big problem. I know that you've gone through it too. Like, 
essentially like car insurance, health insurance, house insurance. Um, in my opinion, this is a very predatory business, but the same problem exists, which is essentially like the prices are changing all the time. Your requirements actually change probably more often than you think, you know, based on like your needs and your usage, but you never like reevaluate these things because you don't have like a proactive person helping you with it. So for me, it's like I've let that task go on for like a year or two, like knowing that I have to reevaluate. How much would you pay for someone annually to be your insurance Sherpa? Hundreds of dollars for sure. Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting business model because there's also financial opportunities in insurance. So if you look at the old school model of financial advisors, which I am not a big, I think paying 1% for a financial advisor every year is ridiculous. But I love the idea of you're 40 years old, there's three or four different types of insurance you got to carry, not to mention filing claims. Claims takes a long time. Here's the thing about claims. I I just want to... I just want to jump in here real quick. I've had several people in Austin that have had to file claims based on the freeze that happened last year. They're still haven't settled with these insurance companies because it's a predatory business. Um, I've had friends that have got into uh, car accidents that have gotten less than the value of their car. Now, based on what's going on in the marketplace, because used car prices have gone up so much, these insurance companies aren't willing to pay out to essentially replace the product that they had. And so they've had to go to litigation as well. It turns out you need advocates. You need to hire lawyers to claim the money that you've been paying That's correct. over the last 12 months. So this is becoming a, an industry where I, it does feel like you need an advocate. And it also feels like you need to be like actively managing. One phone call a year, 500 bucks a year, plus you charge me service fees for all my claims. I love that idea. All right, I'll pitch you my number two. So was that, that was your number two, was the insurance Sherpa. I got two more. Here's one. We're going to dive deep into this in a future episode about community building and community business opportunities. But I think uh, like niche destination with an experience is the same kind of thing where like, you know, this isn't finished. Like people are looking for the next cool thing to do that's based on a new interest or a new piece of information. So I think inviting people to a cool property to train a certain kind of sport or to learn about a certain kind of investing or whatever it is, is a really big opportunity. A lot of people ask us, well, how do you build community? It's like you put people together in person. That's how you build community. And this is an opportunity to kickstart that business with cash flow. So figure out a cool niche experience for high net worth people, charge them through the nose for it, get them all together in the same room and keep perpetrating your community on top of that. That's a great way to start a business in 2022, especially because like a lot of us are like looking for reasons to go travel, you know, that are pretty legible because otherwise like things just feel gray area a lot. And so I think there's an opportunity to get 20 people that are willing to take a risk in a room with each other and uh, you know, get started with a new business vis-a-vis small events. We're testing this actually this year, uh, DC Ski, which is coming up in uh, Colorado. We were hesitant at first. We we're like, well, I don't know, like who's gonna show up to this? Like what's gonna happen? Turns out a lot of people wanna go ski. They want skiing to be their primary event and then they wanna talk business on the lift and then afterwards. So I think that this is our test run of this idea and I definitely see like more opportunities for this, Dan. If you need help getting control of your email inbox, this is for you. That's right. This episode is brought to you by the team at MailmanHQ.com. It's a Gmail plugin that lets you decide when and what emails land in your inbox. Many of our listeners spend a huge portion of their days 
inside of their inbox. And if you're one of them, pay close attention to the next 30 seconds. See, Mailman allows you to set up your own emailing schedule on both your personal and work Gmail accounts such that all incoming emails are collected and delivered to your inbox as per the schedule you set up that's in batches so nothing drops in between. Now, what about those urgent emails? Don't worry. Mailman lets you configure your VIPs so their emails will land in your inbox immediately so you can respond and make progress in your business. And there's so much more too. So get a defender and an ally in your inbox. Get Mailman. Sign up for a free account over at mailmanhq.com slash tropical MBA. If you use that link and decide to upgrade to a paid plan, you'll get 30% off your first year via this link. So here it is again, mailmanhq.com slash Tropical MBA. Thanks to the team at Mailman HQ for sponsoring the show. Go give them a try. Give them a look. Get ahead on your inbox. Again, that's mailmanhq.com slash Tropical MBA. Okay, so uh, I want to start off with a little trivia question for you here, Ian. Um, how many stocks do you think are listed on the New York Stock Exchange? A mm, couple thousand. I would have guessed it would have been tens of thousands. It's it's 2,800 approximately right now. And I'm not a super sophisticated investor, but I know this. Uh, if you just look at the Wikipedia listing or whatever, there's 1.46 billion shares traded a day of 2,800 companies. What? Like there's, there's all this like chatter about a relatively limited number of companies. Now, let's look at some companies that take advantage of this. There's a wonderful company called MarketBeat, I follow Matthew Paulson for years now. I love reading his blog. And he recently reported that they did $25 million in revenue in 2021. Talking about, you know, it's a site that essentially gives intelligence about a relatively limited number of companies. And we all know this, right? Financial information is a big, big industry. Now, how many crypto tokens are there? There's a couple more than 2,800. What I think is an enormous opportunity is something I'm going to call casual crypto. See, the people that read the Wall Street Journal, they don't know like how derivatives are constructed. They don't know how over-the-counter trades actually happen. Like all this technical stuff that nerds know about, we don't want to know about it. We just want to we want to watch our money move around and do cool things. And I don't feel like the crypto space has really understood this yet. I love a meme as much as the next person. I like all the insider language. But because I think it's very technological in nature and a lot of uh, the operative stuff has to be done by the individual, it becomes overly technical. And people who just want to watch their horse race can't really do it in crypto. And so I think there's a big opportunity for people to talk to boomers essentially in the crypto parlance or for just more accessible investment information about crypto this is an enormous opportunity there's going to be tons of winners millions of dollars to be made i think it's a really big opportunity now an adjacent opportunity is something i'm going to call crypto sherpa any business plus sherpas is a good idea right now in my mind part of the issue right now ian you can go out there into the crypto land borrow against your money, and you can make reliable returns that would represent for you personally tens of thousands of dollars a year in passive income. You're not going to do it. Why? Because it's complicated. It might take you a couple months to learn how to do that. So could there be third parties that solve this problem either by starting a fund 
or starting a small LLC and bringing people along for the journey, you get to watch the investment, you get to learn about it, you get to participate in the returns, but you don't have to do it technically. So I think there's a really big opportunity for people like myself who like, I love the idea of yield farming. Like I even understand it to a degree how it works. I know the numbers at the different exchanges. I know how the wallets work. Am I gonna take two months off of dynamite jobs to go do that? No, I'm not gonna because the bigger opportunity is to work here with you guys but I want to I want to get my beak wet with that stuff. You know what I mean? So I think that's a really big opportunity right now is for technical people to Sherpa the rest of us who are just passive investors into the game a little bit more. Well, Dan, earlier you were saying, um, you know, it doesn't make sense to like pay a financial advisor 1%, but you know, how many percentage points would you pay somebody to manage your crypto account? A lot, a lot. Yeah. So them's the opportunities. I think it's interesting too to think about um, like financial information services and marketplaces versus like the amount of money that these uh, indexes produce and these stocks produce. Like, <laughs> it is so interesting, and the reason I brought up the number of of companies at the beginning is because it's almost like um, like a lottery or a sweepstakes. You know, where if you say someone that buys this ticket is going to get life changing money twenty five million dollars, thirty five million dollars, whatever. And you're going to have all these people go out and, and get a frenzy about it, you know? And I feel like, yeah, the financial markets are a lot like that. Like the amount of activity on top of those companies by high-speed trading, by hedge funds, by information publishers, by financial advice, is probably so much bigger than the actual core that they're talking about. I don't know how, you know, it actually works, but I do think it's fascinating and it indicates a big opportunity because the same ecosystem is going to exist in crypto and it can't just be on individual technology forward 20 year olds desks and i know it's happening at a larger scale but i do think there's an opportunity for the retail to serve retail investors as well if you guys like the return of business idea donations let us know send us an email let us know your donation you can reach producer jane at jane at tropicalmba.com and our emails are our names at the same so let's go into this conversation with Brian Castle. And at the, again, at the end, we're going to get some of Brian's ideas on business ideas donation, as well as I wanted to talk specifically about how he formulated the idea to get started with Zip Message. The original idea came out of like a customer support context, right? Like I wanted to be able to send a link to a customer so that they can easily record their screen and send back to me what, what's happening for them. There are a bunch of customers doing that, but what really resonated with the early customers was the idea of a back and forth threaded conversation all on one page. Because again, that's a, another big difference from Loom where it's like just one video, you send it off one and done. I can send you a video, you send me back your response. I'll go back to you. Maybe we pull in a third person and it's all threaded on one page. And, and that's what ended up being the thing that really resonates because obviously everybody is working remotely and working asynchronously. And yeah, there are things like Slack and, and email and stuff like that, which are also like async communication, but that's a little bit closed to your internal team. And people are using zip message for some of that team communication, but also with those external freelancers, external clients that you might go back and forth with. Like I was framing up a project, I want to re-release my book today. And I was like, man, this email is going to take me like an hour to write. So is that kind of the idea where I'm going to fire up zip message and send it out to a bunch of contractors who might want to bid on the project? 
Yeah. And it's, it's obviously like higher fidelity than an email because an email you're, you're typing it out or you're asking someone else to type back to you. It's basically a way to have the same as like a Zoom call, like a face-to-face without having to go on a live Zoom call, without having to uh, book a, a meeting on your calendar. Async conversations this way are actually better. Yeah. Tell than- me about that. Tell me if I buy this one. I want to hear the argument. <laughs> All right. <laughs> With asynchronous, yeah, it's more convenient than a Zoom call. Sure. Like we can be across time zones. We don't have to take up time. Yes, that's a benefit. But I think it's even better than a live call. Let's say I'm collaborating with like a marketing contractor that I'm working with. We hop on a live meeting on Zoom and we need to work through a problem. Like I I ask the person, you know, what should we do about this? How should we solve this problem? Now they're like, they have to respond to me right now. He's on the spot, right? Like they have to have an idea ready to go and they sort of blurt out whatever they have, and we go back and forth live. But if that were asynchronous, I could say, okay, here's the thing, here's what we wanna do, what do you think we should do about that? They can now receive it and think about it, go for a walk, process it, maybe come back tomorrow morning, maybe jot down some notes, and then record their response, send it back to me. So now they've actually contributed like a much better response back to me. And I can then go back to them and process it and think about it and go back to them. And so we go back and forth that way. You end up with a better outcome. Like, I think those kinds of like async, slow meetings, you know, have been happening for years through yeah. Slack and, and, and email and, and things like that. But they often lack the fidelity of being able to send a video back and forth or like speak your mind on, on audio, you know. What about the other side? What are the challenges? Like, I'll, I'll give one example and maybe you could reply to it and then give another example. Like, One of the challenges I have with content like this is the speed at which I can consume it and frankly, getting bored with a lot of it. So like if I, if I could imagine, like if we became a zip message company, I might wake up every morning and have to watch like 35 boring YouTube (laughs) videos or something. What are some of the challenges? Is that a challenge you're facing? And sometimes, I mean, definitely one of the first features I wanted to put in it was the, was the two X speed features. So we got that. I mean, I do that all the time. Auto transcribe via Otter. And we we have that. So it it auto transcribes all all the, all the messages too. So that's one of them is is to be able to, you know, read the message through the transcription or, or two X the speed, which I use all the time. But Frankly, to me, it's about not having live calls on my calendar. I mean, in my previous company, we had like no meetings ever. (laughs) Everything was asynchronous. I mean, we tried like weekly stand-up meetings and it just sort of, it's like, we're not very productive this way. We have to pull people off of what they're doing. So that to me is, is the big benefit of communicating that way. I'd like to step back in time just a little bit because it has been, I believe, five years since we've spoke. I think you had a couple businesses back then, right? Because you sold audience ops in 2021. Can you remind us what audience ops was and is? Yeah. So audience ops is a productized service. I ran it for almost seven years. It's basically blog content as a service. I don't own it anymore, but audience ops still runs. They are a team of blog content writers, copy editors, account managers, and they basically power the the blogs for a lot of SaaS companies and, and other types of companies. It seems like around the 2018 timeframe, you were starting to position yourself towards looking towards your next thing. What was that itch that started you to automate yourself out of that business? Yeah, probably around like 17, 18. By that point, I had been running audience ops for about three years and had a really solid team in place, processes all over the place so that the operation was really running basically without me by that point. 
So that's when I stepped back and said, obviously, like SaaS and software is where I always sort of wanted to head in my career. Why? I mean, I started as a, as a web designer and I started productized services for many years in there because that, that was always like the fastest way to bootstrap a business for me to, to get to like recurring revenue, profitability, sustainable cash flow. And then basically from 2018 on, I was using that cash flow and that freedom, not so much to like keep reinvesting in, in the business audience ops to keep growing, but to sort of just free, free me up to invest in my skill set. I, I learned Ruby on Rails that year in 2018. I hacked on multiple SaaS products. Some of them didn't work out as, as well, but from 18, 19, 20, 21 is when I started working on ZipMessage and that one sort of clicked, but, but I, I was working on SaaS. I've I worked on ProcessKit for a couple of years in there. It was a huge learning phase for me in building SaaS products, learning how to market and get traction with, it, with a new product while Audience Ops was basically still running. I, I would check in from time to time, but for the most part, like I was probably touching that business like less than three hours a month or so in, in, in total for the last few years. Incredible. And I did finally sell it in 2021. I, I thought about selling it earlier than that, but it was a really great cash flow business that, that helped me sustain those years of figuring out SaaS. When 2021 came around, it, it was sort of a decision of like, do I just continue to hold it and change nothing about what's going on? And, and yeah, the growth probably plateaued in, in those later years, mostly because I was not investing time and, and energy into growing it. But it, it did come down to probably two things. One is ZipMessage really started to click and that, that saw traction and I really wanted to double down on that. But the other one was, yeah, I, I felt like sort of like a sense of obligation, especially to the team at, at Audience Ops who, who've been incredible. I mean, a lot of those people who still work there today, they were there from the very beginning, like over six years ago, still working on the team at Audience House, which is just incredible. They're, they're super talented, amazing people. And so I, I felt like an obligation, like I'm not investing in the growth in the business or offering them growth opportunities. So I wanted to find an outcome. And I'm glad I did with JD Grafham, where the business could live on with a new ownership, new energy. When one starts to think about selling, what does one start to think about? Curious as to what the steps you took were to ultimately sell the business. It wasn't my first rodeo with selling. I, I sold uh, a business called Restaurant Engine back in 2015. And on that deal back then, I, I had worked with a broker. I, I, I used uh, FE International and, and they were really great. This time around, I thought like, let me see if I could pursue an exit without using a broker. And Why? I think number one, I, there were a few people in my network who I, who I knew personally, including JD, who ended up buying the business. So I reached out to a few people who, who I, I thought could be potential acquirers. And then, I mean, there's MicroAcquire too. And I did actually put it up on MicroAcquire, which is a sort of a new marketplace out there for, for buying and selling. I mean, mostly SaaS, but there are agencies and services up, up there too. What is their um, value proposition relative to a traditional broker? I mean, the big one is there's zero fee selling. You do see how much value a broker does add in like shielding you from, from a lot of the, the tire kickers and the non-serious buyers. And they do a lot of vetting and they handle a lot, a lot of the negotiation for you. So I had to do all that myself. But for this size of deal, it sort of just made sense to, to see if I could go without one and, and that ended up working out. And you said it was a high six-figure deal and it took you yep. 10 weeks to close. 
what what happened in those 10 weeks because i would be like you still want to buy it like what how do you oh, execute yeah. that like I was, kind of it's I, a very systematized process normally how did you guys do it it was an extremely stressful process for me personally even when the deal is going perfectly fine and there are no hitches it's still an incredibly stressful process it's just the due diligence you got to just open up everything show like warts and all and like we didn't do this part so well. We didn't do that part so well. So I just got to show it to you, just trying to be as upfront as, as possible. And you got like contract negotiations, lawyers and all that. But ultimately it actually went pretty relatively quickly. Yeah. Well, Brian, I, I one sat, of the things people yeah. worry about is, is how to talk to the staff. Like what did your staff think? I know you were only there for like three hours a month sometimes, but. Yeah, that was a, a really stressful part. And part of it was there's a key person in the business. Her name is Sarah. Um, and she is like the team manager, like the general manager of the day-to-day. So she was a really important person. And JD and I had had to go through the entire process without anybody on the team knowing that this is happening until the day before closing, basically. I had to bring her in first and, and kind of break the news to her. And then JD met Sarah like before we closed. And then the three of us sort of strategized around how we're going to break the news to the rest of the team after closing. Yeah, I was super nervous. I mean, she handled it like a rock star and it was all just incredibly smooth, little, it's little emotional for, for me. And, and, and just to, what kinds of emotions? I don't know. I just like the suddenness of it. And, and, and also just the fact that it sort of comes out of nowhere. I, but, and something that, that I've been working on for, for seven years and, and how grateful I am to the team for everything that they've put into the business and, and how reliable and professional they've been the whole way through. I just couldn't be more, more grateful. A, a lot of people are really terrified of those employee conversations. And I've noticed that there's a pattern of, we're very entrepreneurial. Like you taught yourself a new skill. You, you, we've already mentioned like four of your businesses in, in 20 minutes. <laughs> and then often there'll be more dedicated operators who buy the business, people who have a vision and like, and I often find that the uh, staff are really excited to work with a dedicated operator as opposed to good idea, podcast guy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The guy who's like hacking on some SaaS products that have nothing to do with this business. I mean, I think of it as like a win, right? Like win for me, win for JD, win for the team. Obviously everybody goes with the business, but a couple of them got promoted up to, to much better roles and better pay. And I think it's a really good outcome for everyone. So you've had a, a well-documented, long entrepreneurial career thus far. I'm really curious about the calculus to raise funding for Zip Message. Tell me about where the germ of that idea came about. I've been bootstrapped, self-funded my whole way through in this career, and I thought that would be my default with, with Zip Message. The, the germ of the idea came from a few friends sort of just reaching out to me, like saying like, hey, like this seems like the type of idea that that where raising money could make sense. And if, and if you're interested, then I'm interested. Like I heard that from, from multiple folks. So my first thought was to talk to friends who might be interested in, in angel investing in, in zip message. And I, and for me, it was a whole learning process because I've, I've never sought investment. I I'm not well-versed in, in that world really. And I was weighing all of that against just self-funding, continuing to self-fund either from the profits from audience ops or the sale money from audience ops. And I ultimately let, you know, landed on selling audience ops. Maybe I could take most of this off the table, contribute some of it into the new business, but really pad the, the runway with, I didn't raise a huge amount, but just, just a little bit to give me an, a nice 
solid uh, couple year runway. It's essentially de-risking your personal financial situation. Yep. In some ways, you can be a little more aggressive too. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest fears with with just selling audience ops was I knew that if I sell, then I'm immediately putting like a date on the calendar where I'm going to run out of money if I don't grow this next business. And all those years before selling audience ops, I had this sustainable cash flow business. So raising a bit of money helped to sort of soften the blow and, and really extend the runway. Again, it's not, I mean, in terms of being aggressive, yeah, I think in some ways I can be, but there's also like just funding things that I was going to fund anyway. For, like I have a full-time developer. I've, I've had this whole time, but there, there's me and my time. So a lot of it is like just funding the day-to-day. So you went with Calm Fund. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that and what you get for that money, but you can go out and find a co-founder and sit in a warehouse or a garage together and 50-50. Or you can go out and give up 10% of the company and get the money right away to hire a high level person, someone that can be there like day one to help you build. Because I typically with, with something like zip message, you would, you'd want two smart people at the beginning, typically not just one. Yeah. I mean, I, there were moments in my journey here where I came pretty close to, to partnering with with someone. But for me, that's one of those things where I, I just never really had the luck of like meeting the right person at the right time in, in their career and my career and the mix of skill sets and, and all that. That That's such a hard thing. I mean, what you and Ian have, I mean, is, is incredible. I've, I've always been you know, jealous of, of friends who have like a really great partnership. But in my case, I've, I've been solo in all my businesses, but now I'm at a point where I, I do hire a, a developer who is much better at, at me. And, and we I, I do a lot more of the front end. He does more of the back end. And marketers, I try to hire specialists who can really execute better than I can. I mean, in my case, it was sort of like exploration and learning process more than anything. I spoke to some potential angel investors, but I ended up then getting connected to Tyler Tringus, who runs uh, Com Fund, and they made a really good offer for Zip Message. It was sort of it was like the right offer at the right time for me with exiting audience ops, the right amount for what I'm looking to do. And it, that just seemed like the easiest way forward. And also the model that they have is, is a little bit unique. It's sort of designed, it gives me what I feel like the most optionality to, to build this company as either like a profitable, sustainable company or to go on to raise money in the future. I didn't really want to go like the venture route. I don't, I don't know if that would be in the cards in the future or not. And, and this just seemed like the, the easiest way forward. The idea of Calm Fund is that it's kind of founder friendly and they're not going to push you to this kind of sell it to Microsoft or get the hell out kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're, they're sort of in this, in this space of like, kind of like bootstrapper friendly funds. I mean, our friend Rob Walling runs Tiny Seed is another similar one. Really, really great opportunity for, for folks building like SaaS in this space to give it like an extra year or two of runway that you might not otherwise have. And what are your and, responsibilities for having taken that money? They take a, a bit of equity and stuff. Yeah, they, they take a bit of equity. But the other thing that I like about it is is that like they they throw all these resources at you like it's all it, there's a whole network of mentors let's just put as many helpful resources and people together along with the funding and and, and it's just all there and I'm I'm still just a few months into it and getting into it but it's it's been really great so far and do you have to pay them back basically I I sort of have like the option to pay them back out of the profits of the company when when the company reaches a certain level of profitability I can pay them back at a multiple of of the amount they invested, which 
does buy down some of the equity points that they would get. Or I keep that in in the company and keep reinvesting into, into the company, and then they're, they they keep their their points, and the company just continues to to grow. So it's like they're incentivized either way, and and I'm incentivized either way too. I'm curious. What do you think are the key differences between running a software company now, SaaS company, and a productized service? I think with a productized service, it really was much more about the processes and building a service that is highly repeatable and building great processes and hiring great people to execute the week-to-week repeatable kind of production line work. And in my case, we were doing blog articles. But in, in a SaaS and I'm really learning this as I go here, it's less about process. It's just much more about building. And every single month, there's something new. It's not only just building new features, but what's the next marketing channel that I can try to tap into and and unlock a new pocket of customers. There's like an integration partnership I might strike up in, in this week. And there's feature requests over here. There's customer support to do. So there's just a lot more kind of chaos. And you sort of have to embrace it because without without that like it's not going to survive we need action we need customers we need people talking about it but we need to keep building and we need to prevent bugs and, and all that kind of stuff so it's interesting i mean we have these all internal arguments all the time about marketing versus features and i know there's this is like a meme too whereas like software founders they just want like let's do more features forget about marketing how do you think about that internally because i'm always like as the person who would be responsible for identifying new marketing channels, I'm always like, let's just build a feature that markets itself. <laughs> My God, I wish. I feel like as, as I started to learn more about building products and, and software, I got better at product and worse and worse at marketing. It, it feels like that. Like I, I do constantly look to like, what feature can I build to easier to market? I mean, one thing that is new in ZipMessage is I, I went freemium about a month ago. So that's sort of like a, product and marketing play, right? So we switched it up so that there is a free plan everyone can use as long as they want. The idea is that it, it is a viral product. So as soon as right. you start using it, you're going to share it with someone else. You can share it within your organization. You can share it with your clients. And we have like the powered by zip message thing on there. When someone res- responds, they can like register themselves along the way. And we do start to see some of that virality in, in the product. So, so there's some of that, but that's not necessarily going to drive top of funnel. Like just having a free plan does not drive more traffic to the website. And what's your price point right now? Yeah. So there's the free and then it goes, there's a $19 plan and a $39 plan. If you're a team, you would, you would go into the 39 plan and that, that gives you like a team of, of five people. Then you can add more like per user on, on top so of it's that. dimensional per user. If you have 50 people using it, you're going to scale your pricing that way. Yeah. In terms of your internal team members, but you could still on all the plans, you could have unlimited guests or, or respondents. There's no limit on, on that. It sounds tough. You have to sell a lot of subscriptions at $39 yeah. to make it work. Yeah. I mean, it is. Luckily, this past year, the, the traction has been really good. It's definitely growing faster with more paying customers than any of the other products I've done. Products that I've worked multiple years on, it's it surpassed within one year. But revenue is still on its way up in, in the early years here. So it's not it's not like profitable enough to pay for my salary yet. We're, we're still in that like startup phase here. Well, but it's it's high risk, high reward, right? I mean, because because you yeah. think about if you can think of emotionally, like the idea of like if you're going to give me a weekend challenge to go out and market a five thousand dollar a month content package, 
versus a $39 a month complex tool that teams use internally. I'll take the $5,000 package yeah. because I'm going to see I mean, that result right away. I'm going to cash flow myself right away. I'm going to be able to put someone in that role right away where I find that a lot of the work that we're doing, the actual growth rate is higher than we've ever seen. Same story, but yeah. it costs us so much more to get there in terms of energy and capital. Yeah. I don't know how you, how you think about this, but for me, I'm at a point where I am trying to take a bigger swing. Uh, than I than I have before, and I think it, especially if, if we're talking about a SaaS product, it's it's just going to take longer to to get that flywheel of of growth. Incredibly frustrating because I'm the most impatient person in the world. But, but looking back to when I started Audience Ops, that was back in 2015. I had sold my previous one, but but at that time I was trying to optimize for what's the fastest way to grow revenue and, and grow like a cash flow business, and that was a productized service. I, I still believe that today. If, if I wanted to grow revenue fast, I would, I would start a productized service. Do you think it's easier to start one now than it was in 2016? I think it just sort of depends on, on the market and the, and the product. It's still a pretty easy to, to start anything. I think there are more, more buyers out there. More, I think people are more comfortable like hiring and buying from productized services than, than they were in the past. I think that's one of the punchlines about your story of like selling to someone that was in your personal network and like kind of brokering the deal yourself too, is like, We've seen the value of our businesses go up as their legibility to the marketplace goes up too. Like yeah. when you started doing productized services, like you were this innovator on the edge and like seeing this new way to do build a profitable income for yourself. And now it's like everybody gets it. So now that means that they're they're buyers for the things that we're building. I mean, audience ops looked just like a SaaS business. It was recurring revenue, it had MRR, it, it had churn, it had customer lifetime value. So on paper, on, on the Stripe account, it looks just like a SaaS business, except it was powered with with people. By the way, I had one question about Zip Message before we close that part of the conversation. What would represent a success for you? I have this idea of like a 10-year business. I would like to be in a business that I'm ready to spend the next 10 plus years building. I don't know if I actually will run it for 10 years. I don't know if I would sell it before then or, or if it lasts longer than that. But I'm at the point where because my, my last few, I, I ran restaurant engine for, for four years. I ran audience ops for like six and a half years. And, but this one, I would like to be in it in, in something that, that works well. It's profitable, grow a small team, but a high value asset that just really lasts and, and makes an impact in, in our world here. That, that's really sort of what I'm going for. I just want to give a big thanks to all of you who listened to ads like this and went on over to dynamitejobs.com to see what we've got going on over there. Because of that, we've helped place hundreds of qualified remote professionals in your companies last year. And for this holiday season, many of you are gearing up your operation for continued growth in 2022. And to help you do it, we've got three exciting options for you to explore. The first is our entirely new hiring platform with a job post dashboard that allows you to repost and promote anytime. We've got a growing list of features there, including intelligent promotion options to help you get the maximum amount of applications. We've also got our done for you service. If you're sick of sorting, assessing, and interviewing, you can hire our senior recruiting staff to do the heavy lifting on your behalf. They are experienced at identifying trajectory, alignment, salary fit, and much more. And the best part is it's a flat fee. 
If you're hiring multiple times in 2022, we're offering bundles with steep discounts. Head on over to dynamitejobs.com and book a call to hear about that. And finally, we offer contract recruiting. That's right, a zero risk hiring option if you don't really know about the long-term fit or if you're looking for a partner to help take care of the legalities of hiring contractors, we can do that for a monthly fee for the contractors that you bring on board. So let's grow together. If you're looking to grow your remote business, book a call with our team and find out today how Dynamite Jobs can help. You can find out about this and much more over at dynamitejobs.com slash remote recruiting. All right. So business idea donations. What do you come up with? I'm in this mode of, of async communication, right? So I'm seeing these, right? Like, like bite-sized consulting ideas, like kind of productized consulting that does not require a lot of like live phone calls with you and the client or with you and the team, right? So like I just hired a copywriter to help punch up some, some email copy. And we're doing that completely asynchronously, just showing her the page. She's going to come back to me with a video on her improvements. Or or you can do like landing page copywriting audits. I, I mean, those are out there. People are doing that. And you don't need to fill up your calendar with a lot of like live client consulting calls if you do it all async. Same thing with like no code tooling. So I see a lot of people like are becoming like ConvertKit experts and Zapier experts and hooking up Airtable to Webflow. There's a ton of that stuff that that's possible. Most business owners don't have the time or energy to to do it. But again, that that could be the kind of thing where if you're the guy or the gal who will set up uh, a sales CRM from from Airtable in, into, I don't know, some CRM. Call you know, me. Yeah, Call right? Me. Like That's a like, conversation we had this week. We have oh, yeah? outgrown Airtable and we have this sales process where it's ridiculous. We're sitting around like, hey, did you like talk to Brian? What's, did, did yeah. anybody write him back? It's like, wait, guys, like we got... This, we can't yeah, live exactly. like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. One that I that I would like myself, and I've I've worked with marketers in this way, but again, like with like async communication, you can do analytics reporting. So, like, I would like to just get a report of my metrics and my numbers. So, look at my Google Analytics, look at my SaaS metrics, record a quick video, like not just send me the dashboard. There, there's that. That that's fine. But record a five minute video for me that I could look at like every Friday with like, what are you seeing? Like, give me the trends. These are the patterns. This is up. This is down. Perspective. Yeah. That's that's that consulting bit. Yeah. Yeah. Here's like a a couple of tidbits that are interesting this week. Things that that where the needle moved and that can be completely async. We don't have to have a live call. I just want that in my inbox every week. I, I think I really love this kind of niche of businesses where as a consultant, and it's like on the way to a productized service, you're defining the scope of the project for the client. There's so many things I need to get done. Here, a small one is I would love to relaunch my book. And I could just imagine one of these services where you go there and it's like, do you need a new cover? Yes. Do you need a new Amazon write-up? Yes. Do you want to do a giveaway? Like, And then boom, yeah. you get your message back and you pay your five grand and you relaunch the book. Maybe not the sexiest niche, but you could easily sit here and f- Think of 50 ideas just like that totally. in emerging industries. I mean, what, what I really like to think about are like, how can you scale things that are traditionally not very scalable, right? So, I mean, a- again, we're seeing on, on Zip Message a lot of coaches are coming in. If you're a professional coach, like a business coach, your calendar is packed with live calls. Yes. You're probably drained of, of energy every single day. But what they're starting to do is asynchronous coaching, right? So maybe you have a live call once a month, but in between you do quick questions asynchronously. 
or or you have like a lower tiered package where you get you can get access to the coach, but you just send your questions async and they reply back async on with video, audio, screen, whatever. What else in the productized service space? I have this instinct that maybe everybody's like sort of always thinking edge case for startups, but there's so many like underserved niches out there that you could just go do things really well with fresh perspective. Things like basic business services, like totally Google productized services, copywriting, accounting. I just still think there's an enormous opportunity right now. I think that really uh, a lot of newer entrepreneurs try to be like too creative or too cutting edge when really like the the, the vast ocean of customers out there still need the, the basic 100%. It's like, it's like when you go to get spaghetti sauce in the grocery store, like entrepreneurs were sort of like programmed. If there was like one can jar of sauce there, we're like, I guess there's no opportunity in spaghetti sauce. I'm out of here. I got to come up with right. the, the next thing. <laughs> and we're like this with our features every day. You could, you would probably laugh at this. If I like over the past year and a half of our feature development, looked at ones that we essentially took from the marketplace, like a competitor that has like uh, a strong customer base. Like they do this for their customers. We should do it for our customers versus like our good ideas that we think people should do things this new way. Typically the ones that we take from competitors and third party industries are the winners and our ideas end up. I, I really believe that in evaluating a new product, like when I decided to go for zip message, Obviously, there's there's Loom. It's it's a massive competitor out there, but I but I I look for that. I I want to find a, a market. Yeah, Slack, all of them. I mean, I want to find a market where there is a lot of and a lot of activity. And if I could, and if I can find an opportunity to differentiate in one or two or three key ways, and I'm seeing people use tools in in weird ways that they weren't intended to be used for, like that's that's where you start to see the patterns. Have uh, you noticed any B two B applications for Zip Message like? I was just, when you were talking about the coaching stuff, I was like, man, could that power a platform of. Yeah. I mean, we, that, that's what we're working on right now. We just released the ability to embed zip messages on your own website. You, and, and we actually give you an intake form. This is another way that it's different from loom. You, so you would have like zipmessage.com slash tropical MBA or, or, or slash Dan or whatever. And, and like, that's like your link. You can send it out like a Calendly link or a savvy Cal link, but it's your async link. I, I, I like to kind of switch those out but now you can actually embed that like we have customers like embedding it like in (laughs) inside their membership sites and and that sort of thing client portals brian the last question is the hardest one so you've been doing a lot of advanced things i would say the last few years in terms of focusing on software raising money all this kind of stuff but there's a lot of people listening that are getting into entrepreneurship and want to end up with the kinds of opportunities you got on your plate what sort of advice do you like to give to people who are taking advantage of this like post-COVID environment to shake up their lives and become an entrepreneur? One that I like to talk a lot about to younger folks, especially if you're if you're new to freelancing, new new to self-employment, is be willing to do a lot of projects where you're not going to get paid for. There's a lot of freelancers who are like, my time is worth a certain dollar amount and and I should not be working for anyone if I'm not getting my hourly rate. Obviously, if you're doing consulting, you should be paid for that. But you should be dedicating part of your time to just doing personal projects, launching small startup ideas. You're going to make zero dollars from that. You're going to put a lot of hours into that. But you're putting stuff out into the world. So you're not only learning how to build something from scratch, 
you're putting something out there that people can talk about. Oh, that's a podcast that people can can start to recognize you or at least recognize your voice, right? Like, or that's a book that you talked about some topic. Because if you just stick to the hourly rate consulting, nobody's really going to know you or or you're not going to be build sort of like a personal brand around any sort of idea. So just do a lot of projects and be willing to to put in time where you're just not going to get paid up front because over the years, you're going to build a network. Eventually, you are going to hit on some products that make a little bit of money, and then you, you kind of stair-step your way up from there. And a big shout-out to Brian Castle. You can check him out over at zipmessage.com. He also has a wonderful podcast with friend of the show, Jordan Gall, called Bootstrapped Web. If you haven't listened to it yet, it's a podcast that documents their entrepreneurial journey, the things that they're learning week to week. And it's a really good listen. I've been a long-term subscriber of their show. And if you like the idea of business idea donations, uh, pull out that cell phone, record a message, and ping it over to our producer, Jane at tropicalmba.com. We've got a lot of great shows lined up for you guys in the next month, including a much-requested best books of the last 12 months with Kyla Gardner. So we very much hope you join us next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time. We'll see you then. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.